0: You're listening to Season 2, Episode 12 of the Attempt Adventure Podcast, a podcast all about travel, finding adventure every day, and seeking out adventurous ways to make life more interesting. From Boulder, Colorado, I'm your host, James Barrett, joined as always by my co-host, Michael DeRogers in Bangkok, Thailand. Yeah, well, what are we talking about today, Michael?
1: Well, James, today I am going to be sharing a conversation that I had with author, adventurer, world traveler Kathleen Donnelly Israel, the author of the book Wisdom on the Camino, a spiritual journey sharing forgiveness and possibilities to inspire the rest of your life. So Kathleen has completed the Camino de Santiago pilgrimage several times in her life, and today she is here to talk about the practicalities of hiking the Camino, why you should do it and how you should do it. Uh, And we're going to talk a little bit about that as well as what the Camino actually is in just a moment. But first, James, did you do anything new or adventurous this week?
0: Me and a friend from work, my old job, we got together and we both decided we wanted to play golf. And so we found a course, never been there, never even thought about playing golf since I moved. Um, Rented some clubs and played possibly the worst round of golf I have ever seen in my life. (laughs) But you know what? We were outside, we had fun, and it was great. Golf is not about being good. Golf is about having fun. Yes. And so I've played golf before many times. Yeah, I used to be better at it, but it's been over a year since I've last played, so it's been it's been a little bit rusty. It was, it was a lot of fun. But, you know, so not new, per se, but new for the area. New, just exploring the area, finding local stuff. And, so yeah, that's what I did.
1: That's really fun. I've always enjoyed it as just not even because I care that much about the game. I don't really care that much about golf as a sport, but I just like being out on the field. I mean, mm-hmm. I would be perfectly content just carrying somebody's clubs and just being outside. Cause I like golf courses. They're pretty, they're, they're peaceful. Mm-hmm. There's something really nice about it. And I'm, I'm a pretty bad golfer. I've played golf with you before. I took two semesters in college and I, you know, I passed them only because it was a college golf course. And that's not,
0: <laughs> I don't think you can really
1: fail. <laughs> right. But uh, I'm terrible at it, but uh, I've played with you a couple of times and I just like mm-hmm. being out on the course. Maybe I need to be a caddy. Maybe that's what I ought to do. I feel like it would
0: be fun and annoying.
1: Yeah, depending on who you're caddying for.
0: Yep. But anyway, what what did you do, Michael?
1: I had a vacation, and James, it was so necessary. I truly have not actually taken days off of work in years. The morning of my wedding, I was up at 3.30 a.m. working that day. It's been very difficult for me to take time off. And I'm not saying that for sympathy or anything, but just as a true fact. So uh, I was finally able to take... Three days off of work, and my wife and I took a vacation uh, to Ayutthaya, the ancient capital of Thailand. I've been there so many times, but I've never stayed overnight. I've only been there for a day trip. So typically, when you go to Ayutthaya, you go to visit the ruins, and this time, didn't do that. Not at all. I saw all the other stuff that you normally don't have time to see when you're there. We took the train. It was only 14 baht. For a one-way ticket, so less than a dollar for a round-trip ticket. We went to Bongpain Palace, which is the old summer palace of King Rama V. And it's still used for some functions nowadays, but it's very cool. It's this kind of Versailles-looking palace uh, just south of Ayutthaya. Awesome to spend half a day kind of exploring and walking around the grounds and touring. Uh, I'll definitely put pictures of the palace on the Mm -hmm. website. It was super cool. Uh, We also... Went to two branches of the National Museum. One that's more about the artifacts that were found in those tombs that we that we visited, those crypts mm-hmm. at the historical park. Some of the artifacts that they've excavated from there are at the uh, branch of the National Museum now. Uh, another one is at another old palace in town. Then learned a bit more about the history. Ayutthaya was really a vibrant, vibrant city. It was one of the biggest cities in Southeast Asia Back in the 16-1700s, it was the kind of area where traders and merchants from the east and the west would all kind of come together. It was just one of the wealthiest cities that ever existed until it was destroyed. You know, and a lot of Thai people think like, what would what would Thailand be like nowadays if Ayutthaya was still the capital? But ultimately, it was sacked by the Burmese, and they had to the government fled and had to reestablish a capital at Bangkok. But at the time, it was this massively international, multicultural city, and different uh, countries could establish little villages where their traders and merchants and diplomats would live. So there was a Japanese village, a Chinese village, a Dutch village, a Portuguese village, etc. And uh, today the uh, Japanese village is a little museum. It's actually the home to the only remaining Shinto shrine in Thailand. And uh, you can go and learn about the Japanese expats and merchants who were here. Uh, The king of Thailand, the king of Siam, had a, a mercenary army of 800 samurai that were volunteers from Japan that lived here at the time. And it was super fascinating. Back then, it was like a pure meritocracy. You know, anyone from anywhere in the world could do anything. You know, uh, the foreign minister, a guy named Constantine Falcone, he was Portuguese, and he became the foreign minister of Siam just because he was that good at his job. It was really a, a, different, a different world than nowadays. It was a vast, multicultural, incredibly wealthy kingdom. So that was really fun. Had a, a lot of great food. Uh, we visited the Ayutthaya Night Market, just had amazing food. Again, I'll put pictures of that on the website as well. It was great because all these years that I've lived in Thailand, I've just never done this kind of stuff. You know, I I go to Ayutthaya to explore the ruins because that's normally what I'm totally into. But if you have a little bit of extra time, these other sites are totally worth seeing
0: as well. See, I didn't know like any of this was in Ayutthaya because we've only ever been to the ruins. I didn't either.
1: And turns out there's actually quite a lot to see in Ayutthaya. A lot of really interesting stuff that like if you're just there for a day trip, you probably don't have time to Mm -hmm. like actually experience. Just a reminder, folks, please share and review the show, maybe even just by word of mouth. It definitely helps a ton. Uh, Don't forget that you can support the show on our Ko-fi page, ko-fi.com slash AttemptAdventure. All right, James, today we're talking about the Camino de Santiago. The Camino de Santiago is one of only two pilgrimages in the world that are recognized as UNESCO World Heritage Sites. So I will kind of briefly explain what it is. So the Camino de Santiago is an old pilgrimage route in Spain, and it, I think it crosses through parts of Portugal as well. Uh, you're basically walking on foot to the uh, the Cathedral of Santiago de Compostela in uh, Spain, supposedly following the path of the Apostle St. James, which is what Santiago means, the Way of St. James. Mm-hmm. But as we talk about it in the show, people don't just go on this for the spiritual experience although that's a major part of it people go on it for fitness and for adventure you know you travel the whole way on foot the symbol of the Camino de Santiago is a shell that you would wear on your backpack or tied to your walking stick as you're walking you stay in what are basically hostels along the way Uh, you can also camp of course Um, it can take anywhere between one and two months depending on your pace depending on your fitness levels And if you walk at least 100 kilometers, you receive a document, which is kind of a a certificate called a uh, Compostela, which looks like a page out of an illuminated Bible. It's beautiful, and that's kind of the marker that you get when you reach the cathedral that shows that you have actually completed it. To prove that you've done so, you have a, a document called a Pilgrim's Passport. And every stop you make along the way, you'll get a stamp in that passport to prove where you've been, how far you've gone. And it's a really cool experience. It's something I would really like to do. And it's, since we started this show, I have been just waiting for somebody who's done the Camino to be on the show because I think <laughs> it's a fantastic adventure. That's really awesome. Just as a side note, the other pilgrimage is in Japan and it is called the Kumano Kodo Pilgrim's Trail. That's the other one. So there's two. And if you do both, if you've done both and you have your passports from both, you can collect a very uh, uh, special like certificate that makes you a dual pilgrim, a UNESCO certificate, hmm. which is pretty cool. That's
0: cool. Let's do both.
1: Yeah, definitely. So anyway, guys, uh, that, that's enough of me talking about it. Let's let Kathleen tell you more. Of course, if you want to learn more, you can always buy her book, and I will put a link to the Amazon page in our show notes. So if you want to read more about it, check it out there. All right. Well, I am so glad that you are here, Kathleen. Welcome to the show. I'm really glad to have you on to talk to our listeners about your adventure today. So well, the first thing we always like to ask our guests is just tell us who are you and what is your history with adventure? My history with adventure. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh my gosh. I um well I think I think it started when I was 18 and I I went to Hawaii all by myself to be a counselor at a Girl Scout camp on the Big Island.
1: Wow. How cool.
2: (laughs) And I'm just, (laughs) yeah, I was thinking about it. I think that's when it started, when I started not being afraid to just go off by myself and do fun things. Let's see. I really started traveling across the pond when I was 50. I went to school over in Switzerland in the summer. Wow. And uh, that was really fun. I was taking a master's course in expressive arts therapy at uh, European graduate school. Oh, wow. And yeah, that was really fun. <laughs> I had to go there for a bunch of conferences over the years. So that was really great. And for the school, they recommend you go into a different town every year. So the first year I went into Milan and then mm. the second year I uh, went into Zurich. Wow. And, you know, took a train up the mountain and a bus from the train up the mountain to the school. So that was pretty exciting. My husband traveled a lot. He actually was a athlete. And I was, mm. I was kind of like a wannabe athlete, and he just kind of took me along with him a lot of times.
1: And, That's what you need um, sometimes, so right? Thought, Someone that can, that can push you on these adventures, sure.
2: <laughs> I know. We used to ride our bicycles, and he would actually ride circles around me as I was riding along. <laughs> it was annoying. Oh.
1: <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, you're here to share us about one specific adventure that you've been on, as well as the book that you wrote. Wisdom on the Camino, a spiritual journey sharing forgiveness and possibilities to inspire the rest of your life. So why don't you tell us about the book as well as the adventure that inspired it?
2: Yeah. So uh, my husband had Parkinson's disease. He was, mm-hmm. it was pretty sad. He, he was an athlete and then he got Parkinson's disease. Yeah. And um, so I had to, I had to be home because I had mm. to take care of him. So it was years, you know, mm-hmm. and so I went online and I did a lot of um, personal healing, emotional healing with enlightened thought leaders each evening. I, would, I kept buying programs and doing the work and then God would send me a new program and I'd mm-hmm. study that one. And just over the years, I developed some philosophies of my own from synthesizing all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to write a book about it. But I didn't want to seem teachy. So I remembered that while I was on the Camino, I told people about all those things. So I wrote my book about walking the Camino and telling people my philosophies. So that was my, you know, I I felt good about it. Oh, my gosh, it was such a wonderful adventure it was a wonderful thing to write the book because I got to remember all the stuff I did and write it down. That was, that is,
1: that is amazing. That's one of my bucket list items. I would love to walk the Camino Mm -hmm. someday. You know, it's one of, one of two UNESCO heritage pilgrimage trails in the world. Um, Well, for our listeners, maybe who don't know what it is, maybe you could tell them uh, if they, if they don't know, what is the Camino de Santiago?
2: Yeah, it started back in the 1200s and um, actually, you know, the apostle of Jesus, that was like the year, I don't know, 33 or whatever mm-hmm. it was, but um, went to Spain to tell people about Jesus. And he right. did not get any recruits. And yeah. <laughs> uh, so he went back to Jerusalem and they killed him.
1: Mm.
2: And uh, so there's a story about some angels brought him back to Spain and they buried him. Probably people that were guided by angels. I don't know. Right. Anyway. Yeah. um So they buried him in Spain, and then in the 1200s, the the Moors were in Spain, and the Christians were trying to get him out of there, Mm -hmm. and Santiago, St. James, appeared and helped them win over the Moors, and so everybody thought that was really cool. And so they started the pilgrimage and uh, to his gravesite in Santiago. And so over the years, uh, people been doing the pilgrimage, but it kind of fell away. Way back maybe in the 70s, I don't really know what year it was. They started resurrecting the Camino. And um, so people from all over the world go and walk the Camino. You know, it, it's like such a gift and it's a spiritual journey. Yeah, it's a pilgrimage. And they have set up on the Camino, they have albergues, which are places to stay. It's like a big room with a bunch oh, of wow. bunk beds. And you can go there and uh, you can stay there. Sometimes they're like five euros, anywhere mm-hmm. from five to 12 euros a night, which is like a steal. You have to put up with snoring. Anyway, I I got over that um after a while. It was difficult. But yeah, people walk the Camino, and the albergues are either set up by families or like municipalities or churches, mm. monasteries, different religious groups. Um, I stayed at one; the people were from England, and mm. another one they were from Holland. Different groups set up the albergues, and then you get you stay there. And the different towns, like if there's a grocery store, a lot of times they'll have a kitchen where you can cook stuff. Oh wow! And uh, if there's Yeah, if there's restaurants, then they tell you, okay, for food, you go here, you know, and they have a pilgrim meal for a discount.
1: How amazing.
2: um, It is. It's all set up like that. And so along of people They're really
1: encouraging people to follow the trail.
2: It's like I I met people that were like, they would do anything for a pilgrim. And um, they just want to make sure you get where you're supposed to go. You can ask for directions and stuff. Very few people are like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about.
1: But <laughs> good, yeah. I did meet some of those people,
2: but yeah. And along the way, there's yellow arrows, mm. so you just follow the yellow arrows. You get to a yellow arrow, and you look ahead and see where the next yellow arrow is, or you just keep walking until you see an, a a yellow arrow, and you're like, oh, good, I'm I'm still on the trail. But right, like you don't have to think like... too
1: far ahead; just one point <laughs> to the next one. Yeah, <laughs> just keep walking.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and the shell. There's a shell too, which is um, people recognize the shell. And most of the pilgrims wear a shell on their backpack. So people Mm -hmm. will recognize them as a pilgrim and you get a passport ahead of time. So each night you stay in an albergue, you get a stamp from that albergue. Then when you get to the next one, they look at your passport to make sure you really are a pilgrim. Yeah. They take down your information. so the government knows where you are. (laughs) They keep track
1: of the pilgrims. That is so cool. Well, how long does it take to walk the entire Camino? How long was your journey?
2: The thing yeah. about me is I'm old. And so I actually have two months. I can take off two months. I actually took off three months because I knew I wanted to finish it. Right. I didn't want to come home till I was done. But you know, you can just walk like 100K. If people start in Sarria, mm. it's 100K. You don't have to walk the whole thing, but you get your Compostello Wow! Um, by just walking 100K. Different people start different places. My friend Judy started in Lyon, and then she, you know, walked to the end mm. because she didn't have as much time as I did. My journey was long because I, I mean, I was sixty-nine years old when I started out, mm. and also I have a, I have a foot problem, and so I, I didn't walk fast. I was sixty-six days on the Camino. Some people like. Uh, buff people go do it in 35 days. Mm-hmm. Some people do it in 45 days. But actually, I took Holy Week off, so I was mm. uh, stayed in a town for Holy Week, and I took every Sunday off because I was walking the Camino. And on Sunday, I would get in, and I would be so tired, I would just lay down on the bed, and then yeah. I wouldn't get to Mass. And I'm like, "Well, gee, here I am doing this Holy it pilgrimage It's the purpose, I'm not yeah. Going to Mass on Sunday, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> So I, that's why I decided that I needed to just take Sunday off.
1: Yeah. Any kind of walking, trekking, you can't go nonstop. You have to have that recovery day as well for uh, physical and, and spiritual recovery as well, I guess.
2: Yeah. I, a lot of people did not. They, mm. well, you know, it's so long
1: mm-hmm. and then
2: people are like, how, how long can I take off from work? I can't take well, that long off
1: from work. It's important too. Yeah.
2: And so a lot of people just try and do it as fast as they can. But I found that I did not get blisters, and a lot of people that were going fast got blisters, and Mm. I'm thinking (laughs) that their poor feet just couldn't take it. And um, I wear negative ion clothes, so Mm. I had negative ion socks, and uh, that may have been one reason I didn't get
1: blisters. Um, Right. So, well, how do you plan it? What is the planning and preparation process like? Because it seems seems almost intimidating to just, you know, fly to... Europe and just start walking. But what do you have to do to prepare for it?
2: Well, you got to be a bit buff, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I used to walk with my friend and we walked five miles three days a week Mm -hmm. and I didn't even break a sweat. And Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, I can do this. I can walk five miles before lunch and five miles after lunch. And that's 10 miles. And that's what I'll do every day. And so that's what I did and then my um my sister-in-law decided that I needed to practice on hills. And so she used to take me to hike up hills. And mm-hmm. then after a while I was hiking up the hills with my backpack on. Right. You know, so you just kind Adding of Adding that weight. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, also I I volunteered at a horse ranch. There's a horse ranch over here and uh, they do autistic kids at the horse ranch. And so they needed volunteers. And I was, I used to, you know, pick up the horse pucky and, you know, I got pretty buff from that. My core strength from doing (laughs) that with the wheelbarrow, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was, I was pretty prepared really. And also I, you know, I watched all the YouTubes about, this is how you pack for the Camino, you know? And yeah. uh, there's a lot of advice about don't take this, take this. And I went to my library, the local library had a lecture about how to pack for the Camino. And so mm-hmm. I went to that. She was like passing stuff around and saying, See, this is a shirt. You wouldn't want to take this shirt on the Camino. Now, this is the kind of shirt you want to take on the Camino. And you guys kind of hold these two shirts in your hands and realize this one's really lightweight. So you need to find lightweight clothing. Yeah, there's a real science with not taking a lot. You're not going to a third world country. So, I mean, you can buy deodorant there. You can buy whatever you need. You can buy it there. Sure, yeah. You don't need to, I mean, you maybe carry one day's worth of food, but you, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to be there a long time and you just, you don't have to carry that much stuff. And then um, it's kind of hot there, so you don't take a real heavy-duty sleeping bag. You just take a lightweight sleeping bag. But you do need a sleeping bag because the albergues they maybe give you a sheet, a disposable sheet, but you need something to sleep in.
1: What about, uh, so you mentioned equipment. What did you find was your most useful piece of equipment that you brought? Something that nobody should attempt the trail without?
2: Well, it's really good to have the the thing that you you know, you plug your USB for your phone in and mm-hmm. then it's got the adapter for Spain or mm-hmm. Portugal or wherever you're going to go. So you need one of those. And it's really good to have one with several USB ports so that if you get to the, you know, the wall outlet and there's mm-hmm. three of them stuck in there, then you can take yours, that one out and stick yours in uh-huh. and put theirs in there too. So you don't, you know, you can, you don't have to wait till everybody else That's smart. uses yeah. the electricity.
1: That is smart. Yeah. that is smart. You so can probably it's... make some good friends too if you're charging and somebody wants to charge their phone as well.
2: <laughs>
1: Absolutely, and also
2: I took a really tiny flashlight. I mean, it was like um, maybe two and a half inches long. Sort of those and like really micro skinny. LED
1: type type ones.
2: That's what it was. Uh, that was really great. One battery lasted the whole
1: trip. Wow.
2: <laughs> yeah. So that was really good because you know you get up in the middle of the night. You don't want a big flashlight. I, I brought a headlight, but I never even used it at all.
1: What is it about the Camino? Because there's a lot of pilgrimages. There's, you know, different, different ones throughout the world, but what is it about the Camino de Santiago that just draws people in? I mean, what is it about this trail that is so special?
2: Well, there's, of course, it's a, it's a physical challenge. So there's people who are there for the physical challenge. They're not religious or anything, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's the people that want a holy pilgrimage, and people have like the the way the movie people see the oh, yeah. way, and they want to yeah. go do it too. And then um, there's somebody wrote a book in South Korea, and there are so many South Koreans who really do the Camino. Wow, I wouldn't. Have yeah, that. that's You always see people from South Korea. Yeah, and um, I think people know. Like I met people that one guy said, well. I was done with my job. My next job doesn't start for X amount of weeks. So I Mm. thought I'd go and do a Camino while I'm waiting. I met somebody else and, you know, they were getting divorced and they wanted Mm. to, they wanted a message from God and they thought, well, I'll do the Camino, you know, it's worth a try. And then there's people who lost someone. Mm. Like I lost my mother and my husband the year before I went. Mm. And, uh, so I met another guy, he had lost three of his friends and he couldn't do his life anymore. And, uh, that's why he was doing the Camino. So we had a bond because, right. um, we, you know, had that in common. They tell you to get reservations for the first three nights. So okay. I had been advised, the lady at the library said, go to the Balari in St. Jean." And so that's where I stayed the first night at the Bellari. It's really amazing. Uh, I recommend that too. And then the next two nights reservations, I couldn't even keep the reservation because I went in April and it was snowing over the Pyrenees. And so I couldn't go over the Pyrenees. Oh, wow. Yeah. So those next two reservations, nobody was going to go to those places. (laughs) It was against a lot to go over the mountain. Wow. They didn't want to have to rescue you. Right. And so I had to walk around the mountain. So I stayed in Val Carlos the second night. That was pretty exciting. And I met a group of people, everybody that stayed there that night, we made a WhatsApp. And so mm. we followed each other while we were going go- oh, so through, you know, and yeah. like a lot of people actually got home about a month before I did. And oh. so they were enjoying watching me do my my Camino and wow. giving me advice. Oh, you know, if you go to Burgos, stay there two days. There's so much to see and stuff like that.
1: That's really fun. You mentioned The Way, and that was one of the things that stuck out to me about that film. It's just the people that he met were as much of, you know, the journey as the journey was itself. And it kind of sounds like there's this sort of camaraderie between the pilgrims on the trail, you know, how often are you somewhere where everyone has the same goal and they may be going about it different ways, but they all have the same goal ultimately.
2: That was wonderful. And also the beauty of the Camino being out in nature for like two months was so beautiful. People told me that the Masita would be boring and boy, were they wrong. It was Mm. beautiful because of the modern farming techniques. You know, you're just walking along and all the way to the horizon, they're growing something with yellow flowers on it. Oh, wow. and waving in the breeze. And wow. Yeah. And there were red poppies, a lot of red poppies and just different plants. It's amazing. Last year, I did the Camino in Portugal. I started in Lisbon and walked all the way up Portugal to Santiago. So that was pretty exciting,
1: too. Wow. I didn't actually realize that it went through Portugal as well. I didn't realize that there were sort of different... Yeah, branches or paths There's, you could take.
2: I mean, over in Europe, a lot of people just walk out their front door and start walking to uh, Santiago. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here in in the U.S., we have to actually get this really high priced ticket to go over yeah. there. But those guys, they can take a train. It's not that much of a big deal for them to right. go to the Camino.
1: You mentioned the snow. Were there any other issues with weather that people should be aware of?
2: You know, what was really amazing is I tried to get waterproof shoes. Mm-hmm. I had some Vasque, you know, hiking boots and I tried to get waterproof Vasque hiking boots. They were the same thing, only Gore-Tex. Uh, when I got to the Camino, they filled up with water, oh. you know, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, I paid extra for these,
1: yeah. <laughs> these waterproof <laughs>
2: shoes, but now I think the waterproof shoes don't let your foot breathe at mm. all. And so I don't recommend people get waterproof shoes. Mm. You can just um, have regular shoes and it's going to rain and your, your shoes get wet and you just stuff them with newspaper the night before. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can walk in them the next day.
1: I had never considered so. that, but I guess the waterproofing keeps the water in as well. <laughs> and, and that's also well uh, not what you want, right? <laughs>
2: They, they said they were waterproof, but they, they were not,
1: (laughs) they were were
2: wrong. When I was preparing for the Camino, I tried many, many packs. I had, I actually bought four packs before I got the right one. And um, REI is great because you can just take things back. So that's what I did. I, I bought a pack and I went out and tried it and it, maybe got I got sweaty or, you know, different things were wrong with the pack. And finally mm-hmm. I settled on this one pack and it has a, a back thing that holds the pack away from your body so the air can go in between. Oh, right. And somebody saw my pack and they're like, wow, you have one of those osprey black in orange packs too. Everybody has them. Why? And I'm like, well, it was the right size and it, yeah, and it didn't make me sweaty. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a 36 liter pack. I filled up the whole thing. My pack was 10 kilos, I guess, which okay. is supposed to be a good amount. Another thing you have to do is you need to drink a lot of water. Uh, they have agua grande. So I got two agua grandes every day. And Mm -hmm. that is three liters. So it's an agua grande is a liter and a half. So when you start out in the morning, either you get breakfast where you're at, or you gotta go find breakfast. So Mm -hmm. while you're walking, each town has a bar. You go to the bar to go to the bathroom and Ah. to get some food or drink. Okay. So so I, I would go into the bar and then I would buy something and then I would use the restroom. And so like the first one, I would buy coffee. And then the second one I would buy a tortilla and mm. over there, tortilla is eggs and potatoes. It's, oh, it's like, okay. so it's, That's oh, what wow. It's called tortilla. Yeah,
1: different from not,
2: it's not a tortilla.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
2: <laughs> and so I would get tortilla and then I would get maybe like a juice at the next one. And then mm. the next one I would buy an agua grande. So I had a one of those, what is it called? A hydration pack.
0: Oh yeah. You know, yeah, that you the, can
2: suck on the, the tube. The yeah. And so my hydration pack held 1.5 liters. Perfect. So I would just fill up my hydration pack. And then at the end of the day, I would get another one to, to tide me over till the next morning to keep hydrated.
1: That's important. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what was the most difficult part of the journey?
2: Well, one thing that I, I knew, cause I, am an old lady, I knew that I didn't want to fall. And some of those trails, they're like rocks standing on Mm. end. They're not, you know, they're not something you could walk on. And so sometimes I would just like sit down and scooch down because I was definitely not going to be falling. Yeah. But one of the places that I stayed, there was a lady there and she had fallen in the shower and broke her arm.
1: Oh no. And,
2: um, yeah, she was just staying there until she got better. And I thought, I'm not going to be doing that. So like every time I took a shower, I wore wore my shower shoes. That's one thing you got to take, shower shoes. This last time I went, I I had Crocs for shower shoes. They were the greatest thing because you can get them wet and no, they got holes in them. And then I could actually hike in them too. Wow. And they tell you to bring your hiking boots plus something else like shower shoes that you can wear in the evening Mm -hmm. so you don't have to wear your hiking boots all the time. Mm -hmm. Another thing that was a problem was crabby people. Um, I guess
1: everyone's hot and sweaty and tired, <laughs> right?
2: <laughs> well, even, you know, even some of the people that run the albergues, sometimes they're crabby. Really? And yeah. uh so one of the preparation things is. There are crabby people on the Camino and you need to just not let them ruin your day. You need mm-hmm. to just realize that. And it's and it's an avenue of growth for you. When you um, meet a crabby person, you need to just let them do that. You know, right. <laughs> and I, in my book, I write about I write about the crabby people.
1: <laughs> it's good to keep in mind.
2: It, I mean, they're wonderful adventures and things go south and you just keep going. Yeah, and that's one reason why I'm really glad I went alone because Mm. I did not have anybody to complain to. (laughs) You know, people would go like like a married couple, and you just see the tension that builds between married couples sometimes. You know, and and I was just like, yeah, I'm glad I'm alone. I don't have that. And but I I mean, everything that happened, I just had to take it at face value and deal with it. You Mm -hmm. know, myself, not I didn't have anybody to complain to.
1: It probably gives you more of that personal growth experience as well. If you're going alone and just sort of being open to whatever you encounter, I would, I would think.
2: And really, nobody walks the same speed anyway. So uh, if you walk with somebody, somebody's going to have to walk slow for you, or you're going to have to walk fast for them. Yeah. One or the other. But I did, I hooked up with people sometimes. Then after a while, you, I mean, you kind of got to get away from them somehow so you can walk your own Camino. Right. You know? But it, it's, it's fun to meet people and to find out how they live and stuff. And really so much advice that I really appreciated along the way. And then I got to share my teachings too.
1: What were maybe the most amazing experiences that you had? Alternately, what are some of the funniest moments that you've had? What are some of your best stories along the trail?
2: Well, I, um, there was this really great experience. I was walking along and I think it was Saint Anton's. Um, it was, um, I think it was a convent. So mm-hmm. I was walking along and I saw these, this, this um, uh, ruins far off in the distance and it, it had, oh, it's so beautiful. It had spires and all kinds of stuff. And I, I mean, just charming. And I just kept walking towards it. And when I got to it, I, there was giant arches and I just thought, wow, out here in the middle of nowhere, somebody built a convent yeah, and they made it so beautiful. It was incredible, but it was a ruins. I mean, walls were gone. So I walked into it and I heard like this Irish fairy music. Huh. Yeah, it was beautiful. And I was walking in and then over to the right, there was this guy He was like a Filipino guy Mm -hmm. and he had a t-shirt on and a kilt. I mean, a white t-shirt and a kilt (laughs) and he was standing behind this. uh, (laughs) I know (laughs) it was so great. He was standing behind this. um, I guess it was a refrigerated bar or something. And he was sitting there making egg salad sandwiches and putting them in little plastic bags. (laughs) And I was like, do you have any coffee? Oh, first I said, do you have a restroom? Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, over there. So I went over to the restroom and I went in there and it was like, not exactly completely concealed. Oh, no. But <laughs> I know. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, at least it has a door. So yeah. I went and used the restroom and then I walked over and I bought a coffee from him and um, I didn't need a sandwich at all. Uh-huh. He had a watermelon there. He said, um, yeah, if you want a piece of watermelon. And I'm like, uh, I think so, I'll just uh, take the coffee. And anyway, it was just, it was so incredible. Like it was like, what? what? It sounds like a dream. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah, <laughs> I know it was. And I, it was so charming and and I loved it. And wow. then I just walked on, you know, um, what stopped was a Knights Templar castle. It wasn't a mm-hmm. castle. It was like a monastery. And inside there was a lady and she was serving coffee to people. Mm-hmm. And, and she had these little cups that were like two inches high. So she was serving coffee to everybody. And then I noticed she ran out of coffee. And so she went out of the place and got some more coffee and came back. But it's really little plastic cups she wasn't using soap. Oh. <laughs> and and I was just like, oh. <laughs> but I mean, it was too late, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so that was that was kind of a funny thing and um it was an albergue. They had an upstairs on the side uh and there were some bunk beds up there so you could mm-hmm. stay there the night, but like if you get somewhere in the middle of the day, you can't stay there. You have to keep walking. So yeah. You walk until you're kind of tired and then you find an albergue. One thing that I did was that I would look ahead and see, okay, the terrain is mountains today. I think I can only walk 10 kilometers instead of 15 kilometers. Mm-hmm. You know, you can kind of tell ahead if you have good tools, um, mm-hmm. what it's going to be like and just how how tired you are, whether you slept the night before yeah. and stuff like that, and then and I would call ahead at the place I thought I was going to stay and ask them to save a bed for me, and uh, it was a good thing because sometimes you got there and they're like, "Yeah, we're full up," and I and I would say, "Well, I called ahead, and they want to know my name," and then they're okay, you can stay here. Oh.
1: What would you have to do? Would you have to camp? What's, what's the alternative if there's really not a you bed? No,
2: no. you know, one day I walked 29K oh. uh, because every place that I went into wasn't open or oh. they were full or oh, whatever.
1: Wow. You just keep going. And
2: so I walked 29K one day. I just had to keep going. And like several people asked me, uh, can I call you a cab? Because I don't know, maybe I look terrible somehow. <laughs> they thought, oh, this woman needs a cab. And and so I just said, No, I came here to walk. I'm not yeah. taking a cab, so I'm just gonna keep going. So finally I stopped into this bar and he went to call me a cab, and I'm like to Australia," And they had room, and so he told me it's like an hour and a half more walking, mm. but they have room for you. So then uh that's where I stayed that night. Wow. So it was really good because. Everybody else walked ahead of me, you know, I mean, I didn't uh, see those people from the first night until that night. And I had walked really far and I caught up with them. The people that I that I knew from the first night, they were actually there. Wow.
1: um, Oh, that's fun. That
2: that was really nice. Yeah, Yeah. it was really nice. So it was like my reward for walking so far.
1: You have to embrace the challenges, I guess. And that (laughs) it turns out okay in the end.
2: One night I knew I was going to get in late. And so I called this albergue that I was going to stay at. And I said, you know, I'm not going to get in there till around four Mm. o'clock. Will you save me a lower bunk? And he said, well, that's a lot to ask. And I said, I'm 69 years old. Will you save mm-hmm. me a lower bunk? And he, so he said, uh, yes.
1: <laughs>
2: uh-huh. <laughs> so they, they I mean, some places I went into and I, I would forget to ask for a lower bunk. Oh. They don't want, they don't want you to have to, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: And um, another thing that I brought with me that was really important was a bar of soap. I just had one bar of soap oh, yeah. for washing my clothes washing my body, washing my teeth. I even brushed my teeth with it. Yeah. To save space. And, and I had to replace it a couple of times on the Camino. So I had to, there, there was a, this um, green bar of soap and it Mm. didn't taste too bad. (laughs) So I always tried to get that green bar of soap (laughs) so I could brush my teeth with it. That's great. I had an electric toothbrush too. You can get this little tiny electric toothbrush Mm. at the container store and it just takes one battery, and that lasted the whole time too. Wow! Well, so that was great. Oh, I love the container. I like my electric
1: toothbrush,
2: <laughs> <laughs> and it's very lightweight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here wow. I am plugging all these stores. Right. But-
1: so beyond the the physical journey, beyond the uh, the tips and things, what about the spiritual side of it? So how did the experience maybe change you or affect your worldview?
2: So I, you know, when when I th- oh, I'm going on a holy pilgrimage, I'm going to go to every church that I come across and, you know, go in and say a prayer. But most of the churches are locked during the Mm -hmm. day. Just every once in a while, you'll find a church that maybe has a gift shop in it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, they don't want to leave it open just for anybody. They need to have somebody in there watching the place, the art on the pilgrimage. In the churches, they have these beautiful Statues that were old, really old. I mean, you could tell the difference between the very old statues. They were kind of like really thick, like they cut a tree down and they didn't carve it in too much. They left it kind of large, and it would be Mary holding the baby Jesus Mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, Beautiful Mm -hmm. primitive art. I saw this statue of Jesus, the baby Jesus, and he just had this big smile on his face and you know, this big golden crown over his head and it looked like he was dancing or something. And just little things like that just meant so much to me Right, to see them. (laughs) I love the art. I'm an artist myself. I've taken a lot of art history classes and I I know a lot about art history. So in Balboa Park here in San Diego, there's a statue of El Cid in the middle Mm. of the parking lot. And when I got to, I think it was Burgos, they had the coffin of El Cid and it was just like, oh my gosh, the coffin of El Cid. Wow. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know El Cid is. <laughs> right. <laughs> How cool. So yeah, that was really cool. And another thing over there is they have a lot of buildings that were designed by Gaudi. Mm. So in Astorga, they have a palace designed by Gaudi. And wow. in the... Um, The basement in Burgos at the cathedral, they have a lot of architecture, like it's like drawings and models by Gaudi of buildings Mm -hmm. that he has designed. So that was really cool. I just the people I met like when I was trying to get out of Burgos and I was like, how do I get out of here? You know, I I didn't see any yellow arrows. And so I asked this lady and she started to tell me where to go. And then she said, you know what? I'm going that way. I'll just walk with me. Okay.
1: nice.
2: And so I told her, oh, you're my angel. Thank you. And she said, well, if that's all I have to do to be an angel, I'm really glad. (laughs) <laughs> and then, so I was walking with her and she was telling, she is an English teacher over oh. in Burgos. It was so nice to her to talk to a native English speaker. Bet, yeah, Yeah, it was, she loved it. So she was telling me about her problems and stuff. So I was telling her this prayer that I like to say, I say it when I don't know what to do. And she had some of those things in her life. And the prayer is, dear God, please make everything turn out okay. And then you let God make everything to turn, turn out okay. And so that was one of my teachings and I got to tell somebody about it. So that right. made me happy.
1: Yeah. For people like me who might want to get started, how do, how do you even start this process?
2: I, you know, one thing about the Camino is it's like one foot in front of the other. You can do one foot in front of the other. And then after you do it for a few days, you get kind of buff and then you can walk further. The other thing is you have to get your pack and your boots and you have to make sure they're comfortable. If you're going to do some practice walking, you should get your boots ahead of time. And then you won't be breaking them in on the Camino. Mm -hmm. You know, you can do your hiking with your boots on. You need to find things that are very lightweight. I took three sets of clothes, one that I wore, one to wash and one to wear the next day. Oh, so I always had clean clothes and right. you get all sweaty, you know, you yeah. need to wash your clothes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and
2: I brought a clothesline. I hung it around my bed, you know, the bunk bed. And then it was kind of like a barrier, like a privacy barrier. I had my clothes that, you know, wash my clothes and hung yeah. clothesline around my bed. Yeah, you need to just watch all the YouTubes about what to bring. Mm-hmm. I brought some stuff that I didn't need to bring, and uh, I actually sent a whole and a half worth of stuff. I sent, but it was like forty five euros to send it mm. home, so that was Ooh, a lot yeah. of money to yeah. send my stuff that I didn't need. Right. Home. <laughs> But by that time, you know what you need. And so there were things I just went through my pack. What can I not have? What can I not have? Yeah, I had this really great towel that I got at at Ikea and it was very lightweight and it worked perfectly. I Mm. got dry, you know, using it. And I I took, you know, Americans, we like a washcloth. Yeah, Europeans, not so much. I needed a washcloth. And so I got a baby washcloth that, you know, Mm. they have those baby washcloths. Like real
1: small ones. Yeah. um, yeah,
2: Yeah. It was really lightweight. And so that was really good. Oh, oh. (laughs) so for women, it's really good to wear a skirt. I mean, you're going to have to go pee in the bushes. I mean, men, they have their outdoor plumbing. You can just you know, or you can be
1: like that Filipino go, guy, have your kilt on. But it. ladies,
2: <laughs> yeah, right, right. But ladies have to like, you know, bear yeah. their butt, to, you know, and that's no fun. And so, so anyway, uh, halfway through, mm-hmm. I made myself a skirt out of one of my pair of pants. Oh, So I just cut it up. I had yeah. some fingernail scissors and I cut it up and then I got a, some thread and I sewed it together. So I had a there you skirt. Go.
1: <laughs> right. Wow. These are the little practical things people wouldn't think of. <laughs> and a,
2: a skirt is not it because you right.
1: shouldn't have to wear <laughs> your butt if you have a skirt. So yeah, right. you need
2: a skirt. Yep. Right. One of the cool things that you can get over there is they have, um, cerveza con limon. I
1: you like the you go that. to a
2: bar <laughs> and it's very refreshing. Uh, They'll pour you half of a beer and then they take like some lemon soda out of the refrigerator and pour the rest of the thing. Oh, that sounds great. It's very refreshing Mm -hmm. after a
1: long day of walking. That sounds really good.
2: It was great.
1: Wow!
2: (laughs) Another thing that I found on the Camino was I found heart shaped rocks Mm. along the way. And in the beginning, I would leave them there because I thought, well, somebody else will like to see it, too. And then I met this guy and he told me, he read a book about this lady who picked up heart-shaped rocks and Mm. she gave them to people to make them feel special. So he recommended that I pick up the heart-shaped rocks. So that's what I started doing. I'd be walking along and I, would you know, see a heart-shaped rock and put it in my pocket and then I would give them to people. It also made me feel like my husband was there um, because when I used to go to school in Switzerland, I would find heart shaped rocks and bring them home to him so he'd mm-hmm. know I was thinking about him. And so when I saw them, I thought, he's he's, make, he's showing me these. Sending rocks. you a
1: message. Yeah. 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 He's sending me a message. That was I, really what a, nice. Well, that's such a nice tribute to him. I, I, I love that. Well, this has been such a fun episode to record. I feel like, wow, I really want to go book a ticket to Spain now. I, <laughs> I'm ready for, a, yeah, ready for an adventure I, myself. <laughs> dude, I, I think but, I might. Yeah. I just might. Well, Kathleen, where can people find you online and
2: where can they buy your book? Well, my my website is wisdomonthecamino.com. And then uh, you can get my book, uh, Wisdom on the Camino, on Amazon.
1: Well, we so, will put links to all of that on our show notes. So if our listeners go to our website at there will be a link to your website as well as a uh, link to go and buy your book. And what I loved about the website is you also had pictures that supplement the book as well.
2: People told me I should put my pictures in my book, but I thought, wow, nobody will be able to buy it because it'll be too expensive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's my gift for my um, my readers. I thought that uh, was great. Well,
1: great. Well, (laughs) thank thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. It has been an absolute blast. I've really, uh, really enjoyed getting to talk to you today. Thank you, Michael. All right, James, we're back. There we go. That was so much fun. She and I talked for like two hours. I obviously had to cut out a lot of it because we (laughs) just were just going on. I was having so much fun talking to her just about the trail and the
0: Camino. And man, what an adventure. I would love to do that. I think my favorite, my favorite part (laughs) or the part that that tickled me the most was when she called the place she was going to be staying that she was getting in late. And she was like, yeah, can you save me a bottom bug? And they're like, no that's that's asking too much we can't do that she was like i'm 69 years old and they're like okay. <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> that one got me she just is awesome that's just like the best word i have like it's just she's yeah. just awesome
1: it was such a joy so much fun to talk to her yeah such a just
0: vibrant fun fun person. she made her own skirt that's like that's another one of my favorite parts i was like this is great <laughs> Kathleen, I am disappointed that I was not there to speak with you. You sound yeah. just absolutely awesome. And I hope one day to either speak to you, meet you, whatever. You you sound, you're great. I would love to do it. I would totally do it. I'm that. so, ins- like, I'm just inspired. That's all I got. Seriously. I mean, I would love to do something
1: like that. Just take, you know, a couple of weeks and walk. You know, I think that you can learn a lot about yourself on a journey like that.
0: That's great. Awesome.
1: So there we go. So thank you so much, Kathleen. And guys, again, you can check out her book and her website. I will put links to all of that in the show notes on attemptadventure.com. So check it out. All righty, James. Sir, it is now time for our favorite segment. And that is, of course, Adventures in the News. And this week, it's your turn.
0: It is. This one is from, from NPR. A marble slab in storage turned out to be an ancient Greek yearbook. Researchers in the United Kingdom have found that an ancient Greek inscription on a 2,000-year-old marble tablet is actually something resembling a yearbook for a graduating class. Um, wow. It sat in the National Museum Scotland collection for over 130 years without ever being looked at. So, what it really is, there are 31 names, some of them nicknames. It says things such as Theogas for Theogenes and Dionysus for Dionysodoros. Which is a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> it says using their short names was very unusual. Um, it likely indicates the graduates had some sort of camaraderie. These are 31 young men uh, within a cohort who finished their year-long civic and military training. Interesting. It refers to the Emperor Claudius, the fourth ruler of the ancient Roman Empire from AD 41 to 54. So that's really it. I mean, that's, that's just, it just blew my mind. <laughs> that is really cool. Again, for those of you that don't know, I went to school to be an archaeologist. That is my that was my career choice. My degree is in archaeology. So stuff like this, I was I saw it, I was like, ah oh, man,
1: I gotta. And and that's something I would love to do an episode about as well. Talk about the digs you've been on because you've actually been in some archaeological sites. You have mm-hmm. worked at a few of them before, and I would love to hear about that as like an episode of the show sometime. And I'm sure definitely what's the most famous adventure movie of all
0: time. Indiana Jones, who was a terrible archeologist, by the way, (laughs) we won't get into that, but he was a terrible archeologist. He's a looter. Um, (laughs) but anyway, Harrison Ford, if you're listening, come on the show. We can talk about it. He would not want to talk about that. He would only want to talk about airplanes, but not a new safe plane, (laughs) an old unsafe plane. He is the worst pilot. That's all I got. He's not a good pilot. How many times has
1: Harrison Ford crashed his airplane? Like five. It's, it's bad. It's five?
0: I don't know, but it's it's a lot. It's more than it should be. Let's which see. is zero. Um,
1: <laughs> does Harrison Ford, Did Harrison Ford get his pilot's license revoked? That's the first Google search. Uh, no. No, he did not. There's a whole article here. Harrison Ford's airplane mishaps and
0: rescues. I mean, at one point he was taxiing on an active runway. He crashed. Like It's just, anyway, so... Harrison if you're listening uh come on the show we can talk about it so that's my adventures in the news that is super cool you got anything else for us today
1: I do not James why don't you take us home
0: all right ladies and gentlemen if you enjoyed the show today please don't forget to subscribe and consider giving us a review on whatever podcast app that you use if you're feeling generous a five-star review is very very helpful another reminder about our Kofi page kofi.com/attemptedventure. attempt adventure again If you feel like supporting, it does help us a lot. just helps with hosting the podcast, keeping us up to date, all that good stuff. No pressure at all, but we're not going to hide any content. We're not going to paywall anything. But if you feel like supporting us, there are some membership tiers starting at $2 a month, and you will get some little extra bonuses from that. But again, we're not going to hide any of our episodes or anything like that. You can find more Attempt Adventure on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all attempt adventure or our website attemptadventure.com there you can find show notes photos videos links just a ton of good stuff again everyone thank you so much for listening it means the world to us that you do and until next time keep adventuring